0: Hello and welcome to our, at any rate, emerging markets Focus podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Goulden from the emerging market strategy team here at JP Morgan. And I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our emerging market strategy team. Saad, thanks for joining.
1: Hi, happy to be here.
0: So, in the last week, major EM country specific developments have actually had to jostle a bit with global beta factors for attention all following actually from what had been quite a low volatility environment. In fact, as we'll discuss, EM and global volatility has been remarkably low given uh, some of these late cycle risks which uh, seem ahead. Um, But we've also had some focus shifting to EM alpha, uh, as we might call it, opportunities over the last week. We've had major elections in Turkey and Thailand. Uh, We have some geopolitical headlines, which have been impacting South Africa. We have a parliamentary dissolution in Ecuador. um, And that's also been vying for market attention too. And and I would say market reactions in most of those countries uh, have been large and all are probably
1: ongoing developments. So let's start with those uh, beta drivers of EM recently. What has been driving these recent market moves? Yeah, so there's been some movement on both
0: the growth side of things uh, on the global uh, scale and a bit actually at the short end of US rates curves, um, which seem to be combining to push the dollar a bit stronger uh, in the last few days. Uh, On the growth side, um, it's something that we have been monitoring. Actually, if you look at our um, measures of sort of aggregate, how views around growth have been changing. So if we start with an economic activity surprise index, which really measures how data is coming out versus consensus forecasts, that had been trending up from December and was actually in pretty positive levels, both globally and for EM through much of the first quarter Um, And that's telling you that data is basically coming out better than forecasters were expecting um, and gives support to markets um, because growth is doing better. That actually recently uh, has been uh, trending down and is now uh, moving a little bit negative uh, on the global side of things. And similarly, if you look at our own economist forecasts, uh, we have a forecast revision index. Um, We were upgrading growth both globally and for emerging markets really since about uh, November, December time. Uh, Obviously, the China revisions were a large part of that. But in the last few weeks, this trend is also uh, starting on the margin uh, to, to turn uh, we have the Global Economic Activity Surprise Index, which is now negative. Um, China's is also falling. And actually this week, uh, given the recent run of data you've seen actually uh, across different places, some growth forecasts being cut in China uh, as well. So I think that's just lessening a bit on the margin, what had been quite a supportive uh, growth um. Backdrop, and at the same time, we have a, a U.S. rates curve which is firming a bit in the short end, um, and what had been quite a, a sort of slowish trend of, of dollar weakness in favor of EM currencies looks to be stalling a bit here. Um, it's not something that I would say we had necessarily anticipated well uh, or expected, and and probably from a top-down perspective, uh, we we are staying uh, pretty much. Uh, uh, sidelined at the moment, as far as that's concerned.
1: OK, but underneath the surface, there's also a lot going on in the alpha side for emerging markets with a lot of idiosyncr- idiosyncratic uh, and political developments taking place in, in major markets. What's been most uh, in focus for markets on this side? So we obviously had Turkish elections
0: over the weekend uh, in terms of the way markets have reacted so far. Some of the moves that had been in the run-up to the election have, have reversed and you've seen a significant move wider, uh, at least in, in credit spreads, we're about 180 basis points wider in, in five year CDS. Uh, as we stand, obviously, we are going into a second round uh, of uh, presidential elections uh, in the coming weeks, so there'll be more developments there. Uh, and Thailand also had parliamentary elections. Um, it looks that like the opposition has gained a, a large number of seats. Um, we have generally uh, liked the currency in Thailand. Uh, that's more really around the tourism story, uh, which should be helping the current account as we go through the year. Slightly differently, South Africa has had some geopolitical tensions, which have, have been through the headlines. Uh, and that was a catalyst for underperformance in the currency. We've generally been more cautious in the currency, and that's not based on that at all. It's really based on our view of um Expensive valuations, low carry and and a high beta to global growth. But certainly we've seen quite a bit of volatility around there Uh, and more on the the sovereign side of things. Ecuador has also seen some political developments uh, turning more uncertain now as we have um, the president dissolving the National Assembly. And it looks like early elections as well, uh, which are, are obviously causing some uncertainty around that. But Saad, turning this back to you, this has all been happening, interestingly, coming off an environment where implied volatility in emerging markets has actually been pushing lower, and that's been going on in other asset classes as well. That seems a little bit strange, given the macro uncertainty at the moment. So how should we understand what's going on here?
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's a simple intuition That investors often have that links their perception of macroeconomic uncertainty uh, to financial markets, implied volatility. Uh, And that simple intuition actually often is a bit misleading and a very unreliable guide in terms of the drivers of implied vol uh, in for financial assets. Um, And it's for a number of, of reasons. You know, one is that uh, implied vol in in kind of financial um, uh, asset price derivatives, Uh, it can display characteristics of a commodity. So it's driven uh, in many instances by the spot demand and supply for hedging uh, and so on. Uh, And therefore, macro uncertainty alone without a constant stream of new shocks uh, is uh, insufficient on its own to see uh, implied vols stay high. Uh, And in this context, uh, in the last uh, few weeks, we haven't had new shocks as such. You know, last year, we had big shocks on inflation, we had big shocks on monetary policy. And then earlier this year, we had a big shock uh, when we had the US banking sector stresses kicking off. And that led to, uh, you know, uh, volatility implied vol across different assets, uh, especially rates going to uh, multi-year or multi-decade uh, high levels, but since that has fizzled out a little bit in the last few weeks, we haven't had any new shocks. That's consistent with uh, falling uh, volatility. The natural question then is, you know, how low, uh, how long can uh, a low vol or a falling vol uh, environment last? And that's really difficult to say, because as I alluded to, uh, a lot of this depends on uh, a new set of shocks hitting the market. And those shocks are by definition unpredictable. Um, That said, you know, we can say a few sensible things about the vol environment we're in and how long we should expect it to last and what the nature of it is. Uh, First and foremost, this is not like or is, uh, is very unlikely to be anything like Uh, a prolonged period uh, of low and falling volatility, such as what we've seen uh, in many episodes of in the past decade. Um, And that's because over the past decade, pre-COVID, central bank policies, monetary policy, uh, had the effect of persistently dampening uh, volatility, uh, partly because that was an implicit aim of uh, of 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 uh, policymakers, but also policy predictability uh, was quite high. Uh, and that was consistent with, you know, falling volatility. Uh, but the environment we're in right now is very different. Inflation is still a lingering risk. Policy predictability is quite low. Uh, policymakers aren't in the business of dampening volatility anymore, um, uh, at least not to the extent that they used to be. And therefore, it's hard to see vol really falling the kind of the record low uh, levels we had seen over the past decade. So there's a floor on how low it can go. Uh, the second point I'd make is that um, periods of relatively low or modest vol can continue uninterrupted uh, for you know potentially a prolonged period until they're hit uh, by a new shock. As I said, that's unpredictable. Uh, but there is a, a sense that there's a lot of inertia that a low vol period can continue to sustain, even if it um, puzzles uh, macro observers uh, in terms of how it's disconnected from macro volatility. But unless there's a new shock, you know, low vol can, uh, can stay where it is. Um, the third thing, and that's important in terms of putting a bound as to how prolonged a period of low volatility can be, is that. We do know that there is a known unknown event of a U.S. recession that's going to be coming up in the next um, you know, few quarters, and that is historically a ver- very reliable uh, vol-generating uh, event. Um, so that does put some kind of bound as to how long we can expect such a period to, to last. Right now, that recession is still some quarters away, so um, it's not that uh, imminent. Uh, but as it becomes a more immediate risk, uh, I think that would uh, begin to, you know, uh, put an end uh, to this period of of kind of modest volatility. That's useful. So what
0: happens then to EM returns when volatility is low? Does it stop the potential for the asset classes to perform?
1: So here, I think the results uh, that we found are reasonably in line with intuition, So low vol regimes, if you identify them using EMFX implied volatility as uh, our kind of gauge, they're associated with higher returns across all EM fixed income assets, whether it's sovereign credit, whether it's FX, or on local bonds. Um, The largest difference is uh, for EMFX. Uh, So EMFX is the biggest beneficiary of low vol periods historically. And we've just been seeing that uh, play out in real time uh, over the past uh, few weeks. Um, EM local currency bonds, on the other hand, don't see massive uh, return differences across high or low uh, vol regimes. They're, they're roughly similar. So those are the two ends of the spectrum. And the sovereign credit is somewhere in between. So, if we link that back to our discussion
0: of sort of alpha or beta drivers in in the current market, does the nature of the returns that you make in the differ between these lower and these higher volatility environments?
1: Yeah. So we establish that low vol is associated with high returns, and high vol is associated with low returns. So far, uh, so uh, so good. But then, when you look at the behavior of um, you know, of kind of at a line item, uh, how within an asset class uh, different uh, different you know different markets or countries are behaving, you find that when you have low volatility regimes, uh, you tend to have uh, more dispersion uh, within an asset class. And that's another way of saying that with low vol, you get better returns, but you also get more dispersion and therefore you've got more alpha opportunities as well. Um, Conversely, when vol is high, you tend to find that all countries, all markets within the asset class tend to co-move much more strongly. So uh, your alpha opportunities, uh, in a sense, diminish in high vol environments. So uh in a way there's uh there's more uh, payoff for your country' selection when vol is low than there is for uh when when vol is high, and that's consistent um across uh, the EM asset classes, but also if you look at the academic literature more broadly, that's also true uh for global bonds and equities as well. I guess the question is then
0: how has the market been trying to trade this low, low vol regime and and what have they been doing to generate returns? I, I, it's a question really of what factors have been working even if they might be changing a bit.
1: So if you go through the different explanatory variables uh, to to try to determine what's really been driving returns so far this year and you think about fundamental variables, whether it's to do with kind of growth or inflation or external balances, all of those uh, have not been very reliable indicators to try to explain uh, asset price returns uh, in EM uh, year to date. Actually, what you find is that uh, the most the dominant and powerful explanatory variable is a simple one, and that's carry. So where you've had High carry at the start of the year. That's where you've also had uh, correspondingly high returns uh, across, um, especially across EM local markets in bonds and uh, in FX. Um, you know, last year commodities prices, terms of trade uh, were clearly much more important. You know, and very early in the year as well, we were discussing how you know um, your links to China uh, were also. Uh, important back in, uh, you know, back uh, through January when we had the first wave of optimism of China reopening. But that's all given way uh, to this carry factor, which right now seems quite dominant. And again, that's consistent with our intuition that when vol is low, the carry factor uh, is is, is the one that performs uh, the best. And it seems that we're in that environment right now. How long that lasts, as we discussed earlier, uh, really depends on uh, a combination of whether we get some new shock, unanticipated shock uh, hitting us, or you know, if you don't get an unanticipated shock hitting us, then we've got an anticipated vol generating event uh, in the in the quarters ahead. Um and so the way that we are playing this um, and expressing this is to have a positive bias on those currencies and those markets that have got high nominal carry, but importantly also high real carry. So that uh, adds a bit of a, uh, you know, kind of a filter to make sure that we're not uh, just um, uh, getting long into kind of poor quality uh, carry uh, currencies and markets. Um, so so that's the the strategy that we have for now. And um, to me, it seems it, it has a little bit of legs um, to it.
0: Thanks. And that brings us to the end of this JP Morgan at any rate emerging markets focus podcast. Thanks, Saad, for joining today and thank you all for listening. And we hope to have you back again with us for the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, All Rights Reserved. This episode was recorded on the 18th of May, 2023.